Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, August 9th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, students in Jackson returned to school yesterday, but challenges abound as the capital city enters its second week under a boil water advisory. Then physicians and advocates try to get more patients access to a new heart medicine, plus the true story of murder that rocked the Mississippi Delta. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Educators and advocates in Jackson are taking aim at one of the capital city's most chronic challenges, an aging and problematic water infrastructure system. Yesterday, members of the Mississippi Association of Educators shared the results of a survey that revealed nearly all students in Jackson have been or are currently facing tap water issues. And within the past two years, all Jackson public schools have had to shut down due for a period of time to the water-related issues. We've taken uh, the time to uh, collect surveys to better understand the impact on the community as it relates to this water issue. And we are bringing forward this information to ensure the lawmakers not only know the momentum is building towards needing a plan to solve this issue, uh, but also that community engagement is building to hold elected leaders accountable and to support them as they're working towards a solution. That's MAE Executive Director Antonio Castanon Luna. He and other organizational leaders say teachers, students, and their families have accepted the unacceptable for too long. For MAE President Erica Jones, the city's water problems create second and third degree effects on education. The former elementary school teacher shares more with our Kobe Vance. Our educators here in Jackson, as you know, today is the first day of school for Jackson Public Schools. They're already concerned with keeping our uh, students safe as they enter into the school buildings. But now to have an additional issue to worry about the water inside our schools, I know it's concerning for our educators. Here at MAE, we just want to do whatever we can to support them. Y'all spoke on something in the meeting I wanted to follow back up on. You mentioned that this is something that if the longer it doesn't, get fixed, the worse it gets. Um, this is obviously not a problem that's just suddenly popped up for teachers in Mississippi. This has been ongoing, especially here in Jackson, this water crisis for a while now. First off, what has it been like for teachers going through this um, experience trying to you know, teach students 
and while they're also dealing with finding clean water for their students to drink. So, as you mentioned, this is an ongoing situation, an ongoing issue here in the city of Jackson. I had the opportunity to teach in Jackson Public Schools between 2000 and 2014, and there, yes, still was a water with the issue. So this has been an ongoing issue. As a second-grade classroom teacher, uh, my classroom of 24 to 27 students, depending on the year, it just would impede on instructional time for my students, time away from me actually giving direct instruction. For example, a restroom break would take longer. For 24 to 27 students, you would typically spend around 10 minutes at the restroom. But if you're facing a water issue where you're having to use bottled water or if there is only one working restroom in the building, that 10 minutes then could possibly turn to 15 or 20 minutes, which impedes on instructional time. I, I know you all went over the results of the study itself, but was there any other anecdotes that parents or teachers were giving you that about their concerns or thoughts about how things are going right now in Jackson? I had an opportunity to speak with parents yesterday at Lanier High School, and several parents expressed to me their desire to have this fits sooner than later. Uh, they had a fear of sending their students back into the buildings on today, which is the first day of school for Jackson Public Schools. And some of those concerns stemmed around, will there be enough bottled water to go around to all of the students in Jackson Public Schools? Will there be restrooms that were ready and available for the students to use? And then lastly, I want to take this outside of just the city of Jackson and look more at the broader state. This is something that I doubt is very unique to just sit pe teachers in Jackson. You, what do you think um, today's study could mean for teachers outside of the capital city uh, that are also facing potential water issues in their neighborhoods? We are hoping here at MAE that this could be a launching pad for issues that are occurring outside of Jackson. Yesterday, we are focusing on the water situation in Jackson. But as you mentioned, there are communities throughout Mississippi that may be facing this issue or a similar issue. It is our desire here at Mississippi Association of Educators to advocate around the safety of whatever issues are facing our communities. Erica Jones is the president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. Coming up, physicians and advocates try to get more patients access to a new cardiovascular medicine. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Want to keep up with MPB? Go to mpbonline.org or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at mpbonline. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. PCSK9 is a monoclonal antibody medication designed to help patients with heart-related ailments. Released in 2015, the drug has shown to reduce cholesterol by 70% and heart attacks by one-third. But there are hurdles for patients seeking the medication. Dr. Keith Ferdinand is a cardiologist at Tulane University, he explains how the drug works with our Rhonda Dunaway and outlines the steps he and others are taking to reach more patients. It's a group of medicines known as PCSK9 inhibitors. And this is some of the new technology 
where we have monoclonal antibodies, not too dissimilar to the monoclonal antibodies that are used to treat people who are infected with the coronavirus. These antibodies actually are very effective in killing the coronavirus. In this particular case, antibodies have been made to block the degradation of something called the LDL receptors. These are things in the liver that help lower the low density lipoprotein cholesterol. You can just say LDL cholesterol. So it's a new technology. It was approved in 2015, but was never widely uh, taken in the general population because of costs, several thousands of dollars a year. And over the last few years, PCSK9 inhibitors have become more available in the United States, but specifically in Mississippi, there's been a lag with rejections of getting these drugs available, and it's actually 29% higher than the national average in Mississippi. Why do you think that is? Why is Mississippi being denied at a higher rate, and where where are most of the rejections um, coming from? So we understand the need to contain the high cost of care. Newer medications like monoclonal antibodies are very expensive. On the other hand, it's difficult to give a cost to a human life. And we know that cardiovascular disease, including heart disease and stroke, is the number one cause of death. We know that persons in the South, and that includes Mississippi, have the highest rates of death from cardiovascular disease, according to the CDC. Because these medicines are expensive, we have to work to make them available for patients who need them, and that's mainly going to be people who already have had evidence of vascular disease. We call it atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, which means plaque buildup, either heart attack, previous stroke, or buildup in the legs, peripheral arterial disease. And they're on statins, which are the conventional medicines, but unable to get their LDL cholesterol to a goal that the clinician feels is appropriate. Usually that's less than 70. So once you have that condition, you already have disease, you've documented the presence of disease, the person may have even already had a heart attack or stroke, and they have blockage in their heart, their neck, their legs, they're on statins as best they can tolerate, then when you look at the outcomes in terms of saving lives and decreasing hospitalization, these agents are in the guidelines that are recommended, added to the statins. And if they're not available, then you're actually putting more patients at risk. I think a lot of us have been in this place before, trying to get our insurance to accept something that our doc- doctor has prescribed for us. How does it feel on the caregiver side of that? It absolutely shatters the doctor-patient relationship. And the American Medical Association has suggested that up to 90% or more physicians believe that this prior authorization delays access to necessary care. The number one cause of death and disability is cardiovascular disease. You have medication which has been shown to decrease hospitalization and cardiovascular death, but then barriers are put in place 
where it's harder for physicians to order these medicines. One of the companies, and not to name a particular company, it's a problem that's across the board, but specifically Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi has denied over a third of patients with PCSK9 inhibitors, and at one time it was very difficult in Mississippi to get access to these medicines. Enter Ryan Goosh. He's executive director of the Partnership to Advance Cardiovascular Health. He says their priority is working with policymakers to give more power to physicians. Our goal is to, as Dr. Ferdinand said, work with clinicians and patients to help them understand these barriers and then overcome them. And there's a number of ways that that can be done. One is just, frankly, you know, clinicians clinician-to-clinician or peer-to-peer support um, to to overcome these kind of burdensome prior authorization hurdles. And then that could also ladder up to uh, legislation. And uh, legislators across the country are working on utilization management reforms every day around prior authorization, uh, which is what we've seen uh, as as a kind of a roadblock for the PCSK9 inhibitor class, as Dr. Ferdinand said. But there are a number of other uh, tactics that get in the way of the physician-patient relationship, like non-medical switching, where a medication is switched for non-medical reasons just to save costs on the, on the pharmacy benefit manager or health plan side. We've seen the implementation of something called copay accumulator programs, where essentially any support that a patient receives is not counted towards their deductible. Um, and that's been a, a, a real major uh, problem for patients recently. And then step therapy, uh, where um, if a, a clinician uh, prescribes a specific medication, they're they're stepped through um, a number of other medications before they can get to the one that their doctor has prescribed, which delays uh, care uh, that the that the, that the clinicians prescribed. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, what does that look like exactly? Like, what what are you doing to are are you do you lobby lawmakers? Is that what it happens? Well, do you see what I'm saying? Uh, are you do yeah. you talk reach out to insurance officials? Yes. Yeah, so our our goal is to uh, raise awareness on the issue, help heart patients understand um, that they're not alone uh, when they're trying to get access to these novel therapies like PTSD non inhibitors and others. And then also we hope to open a dialogue with the health plans and the pharmacy benefit managers to kind of shake loose whatever it is that is um, causing a roadblock for patients and providers. And so our, our goal is really to start a dialogue um, with Blue Cross Blue Shield Mississippi, you know, uh, the regulators of, of health plans, like the health insurance commissioners at the state level, to figure out how we can together um, combat this problem of cardiovascular disease in the state of Mississippi and throughout the southeast and across the country. It's sometimes not well understood that Cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of Americans. I think a lot of times um, folks think that cancer may be the number one killer of Americans, but we really um, uh, have a cardiovascular um, epidemic in this country. In fact, there's at one point in time uh, it was thought that um, cancer would overtake cardiovascular disease as the number one killer of Americans, and that's actually not happened. Um, the, the delta between uh, the rate of death for cardiovascular disease versus cancer has gotten even larger. And so we have to really think about, as a country, what we're going to do or what we are doing 
uh, in terms of nutrition and access to medicine um, uh, and, and streamline care to ensure that people um, can get what they need in order to take care of their hearts. And so uh, the partnership with Advanced Cardiovascular Health um, is, is uh, happily part of that conversation, and we hope to, to galvanize the patient and the provider voice to bring it to policy conversations so that hopefully we can make some progress uh, uh, on this cardiovascular epidemic that we're seeing in the country right now. Ryan Goosh is Executive Director of the Partnership to Advance Cardiovascular Health. Coming up, the true story of murder that rocked the Mississippi Delta. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's time for the Mississippi Book Festival on Saturday, August 20th. Visit the state capitol in Jackson from 9 to 5 p.m. and visit inside the rotunda on the first floor. The MPB Kids Club will be ready with Ed Said, PBS's Molly from Denali, plus activities and giveaways. Join Mississippi Public Broadcasting for adventure in both body and brain at the Mississippi Book Festival on Saturday, August 20th. More info at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Arthur Beverly Lowry was born in Memphis and grew up in Greenville. When she was 10, a murder occurred in Leland, Mississippi, nine miles away from her hometown. In her latest book, Deer Creek Drive, Lowry tells the stunning true story of a murder that rocked the Mississippi Delta and forever changed the author's life and perception of home. I've thought about this event, the murder, since I was 10, 11 years old. And it has influenced me personally because it was um, enormous in my part of the Delta, all over the Delta. And it was shocking and beyond uh, imagination, really, uh, beyond any imagination <laughs> any of us had that this kind of thing could happen. And where so it happened I, uh, in Leland, that's yeah. a small town. A very small town. My town, Greenville, at that time was a population about 40,000. But it was a big town uh, in the state. Leland was nine miles from Greenville, and it was about eight, 9,000. And there was a very prominent woman who was killed in her home, uh, known to be... Right quite outspoken and rambunctious in her way. And there were folks who thought, well, maybe she ticked somebody off. (laughs) That was the thought. One of my favorite quotes uh, was from a woman whose mother knew Idella Thompson, and that is the victim, the murdered woman. And... uh, she said very simply, Mrs. Thompson could be right difficult, which in a or a southern lady was a, a very strong statement. And yes, people, you know, while not thinking she should have been murdered and certainly not murdered the way she was in her own home, still had to say she was... Um, not an easy person to get along with. 
what happened here without you know giving away the full plot i guess is right. as what happened in several other situations involving murders miss thompson's daughter uh said that a black man rushed by her as she came into the home and that was probably the person that did it yes oh, she said he did it <laughs> that it was a black man um and a black man she did not know. She was very careful not to um, involve, you know, anybody she might know or anybody who worked for her. But she said it was a black man. Um, Mrs. Thompson at that time uh, was 63. No, she was 67. Her daughter was 43. And um, her daughter lived down the block, a couple houses. And uh, she was the only person in the house when um, the first people to discover the body entered the house. So it was just mother and daughter. When you think about this case, and you have thought about it a lot because you wrote about it, what stood out as you began to research and go, oh, I didn't know that? Or that's the reason behind why this happened. You know, I have, this is the third book I've written involving a murder or multiple murders. And uh, what I have found, excuse me, found in doing research about a murder case is if there has been a trial, uh, you're in luck because a trial transcript with witnesses and, um, you know, a judge and lawyers and newspapers covering the trial, especially in a spicy trial like this, gives you all kinds of information of the sort you just asked me about. I mean, things you thought, wait, is that right? You know, and... Also, the way people talk, how they describe things, I found out a lot, a whole lot from that, and from talking to people. I mean, most of the people who were Miss Thompson's age, all of them, have passed on. But the rumors and the hush-hush and every, all the stories still abide especially in Leland. What is it that you want to leave readers with when they finished this book? I'd like for them to to come away with a sense of this is what life was like in the Mississippi Delta. The murder was an aberration. I mean, it happened once, but the the way the murder was covered in the newspapers, the way the selection of the jury was described, um, the trial transcript, which had uh, the witnesses' names with the top of their testimony, and it would say their name and then a parenthesis and either white or colored. 
which meant the only thing that mattered about these people was their race. And that sense obtained in, uh, in the life of the Mississippi Delta at that point. Um, and I, I'd just like for that to be an understanding of then what happened after the Brown decision came down. And you've also written some other books, including books about African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like having grown up where I did, uh, it's, it's not that uh, being in a minority uh, and having race is such a major part of my life gave me more understanding than any other particularly white person. Um, but it did, I, I was always questioning, I was always wondering about life for the others because we were the other to them and they were the others to us. And um, I wanted to um, kind of figure out for myself what life might have been like uh, for them with some humility and a sense that I probably never really, really get it, um, but I would try. Beverly, it's been my pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time and speaking with us about your book. Again, we've been talking with Beverly Lowry, the author of Deer Creek Drive, A Reckoning of Memory and Murder in the Mississippi Delta, and it just came out. Well, Desiree, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.